Cup of Go is sponsored by Koyeb.com. Koyeb.com is a developer-friendly serverless platform to deploy apps globally. Thanks, Koyeb, for sponsoring us. Stick around till the ad break to hear more because they have a new Dockerfile feature up. This is Kappa Go for September 8th, 2023. Keep up to date with the important happenings of the Go community in 15 minutes per week. Hopefully, we have a ton to talk about. I'm Shai Nechman. And I'm Jonathan Hall. How was your week, Jonathan? It was good. Hot. Our last heat wave, I hope, of the summer is here right now. Yeah, and after that, I think the climate's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> climate change is no longer an issue once it cools down, right? Yeah. One thing that's not cooling down but only heating up is the news backlog. Yes. We apologize ahead of time. There are so many interesting things we want to bring up and we just don't have the time because we have only 15 minutes. Let's jump into the first thing. We have an urgent news item about the new releases. So the big news is we already mentioned it last week, but we didn't know the details. That is the Go 1.21.1 and 1.20.8 releases that came out on Wednesday. And these are some juicy ones. With 1.21, they added some changes to Go.mod and they added a toolchain directive, which they discovered uh, allows for some arbitrary code execution. So that's been fixed now, but that's kind of interesting. I mean, that, that's maybe the most serious uh, security vulnerability I've seen in recent times in a Go release. How about you, Shai? So the each you know CVE gets its own like CVSS uh, score, which should sort of rank its you know how severe it is and how much should you worry about it from one to ten. So this for now gets a 5.5, which isn't, it's not going to break anyone. Like no security company is going to come and tell you, you have to upgrade the Go 121 right now. But the reason is not that the vulnerability itself isn't serious. It's just that the primitives required to get an attacker to run a Go command on your computer are pretty high. But I think it is very visible. It is very obvious to see how this could be executed and how this could be exploited versus some other vulnerabilities, you know, in crypto TLS or whatever that are totally beyond any, any normal Go developer, but might get at the end of the day a higher CVSS score because it's a lot easier to challenge an open HTTPS server that's on the internet and like exposed. I do think it's very interesting. And I do think that there are other vulnerabilities in this uh, release that are super interesting as well. Really good that they got fixed, especially the XSS attacks in text template. If you leave like an open tag or whatever, you can get code running. And then because it gets to websites, it could be used for XSS. I guess parsing is hard. I don't know. It seems like it. It seems like every release has something with HTML template uh, and related libraries. Yeah. And there was also a compiler bug that I thought you'd find interesting about panic on map cloning. Might be the underlying issue beneath your uh, seg faults and panics and whatever after all. Could have been. Fortunately, that's been been solved through unknown means. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that might have been the culprit. Who knows? Uh, so it's a pretty cool bug fix. So y'all should go check it out. Yeah. And of course, upgrade. These are serious security fixes. Uh, anything beyond the five in uh, CVSS probably warrants your uh, at least attention. So go update your uh, Go. Oh, I didn't even mean to, to do that. Go update your Go versions. In something related to the Go mod stuff and, you know, in the tool chain or whatever, we want to update you on a proposal we discussed in the past, which will allow tracking tool dependencies in Go mod. What's this proposal about? So we talked about it in the past, but just briefly mentioned. Uh, Jonathan, do you use Golang CI Lint in your projects? Uh, yeah, sometimes, all the time. <laughs> you really want your Golang CI Lint version to be the same as your teammates, right? That's usually helpful, yes. How do you manage it today? 
uh, we update the, the GitHub action script or whichever CI tool we're using. Yeah. So externally from the project. And, and even that doesn't solve the problem because people running it locally may be using a different version and then they have, just have weird reports that don't match the CI and they're like, what's going on? And yeah. then manual syncing. So this proposal is all about putting that in GoMod as well and making sure everybody's using the same uh, version uh, of the same tool. So not only uh, you know putting the dependencies declaratively in the code base and then in GitHub, also the tools that you use. The the first one that pops to mind is obviously Golang CI Lint, uh, just because it's basically used in every project, but there's a ton of them, right? If you use uh, Protobuf, so maybe Protobuf-related packages and compilers, code generators, testing tools, and even internal tools. If you're in a company that's already big enough that you have your own internal tooling to validate stuff, you can do that in GoMod as well. And this is a really, really beautiful proposal. Just shows you know how the planning and, and careful thought that went into everything that goes into Go uh, pays off. Because this is, requires zero language changes. The syntax change for GoMod, because GoMod, the file format is not just randomly picked. It uh, was designed with forward compatibility in mind. doesn't break anything and will work with, uh, you know, if you have an older version of Go even. And there's also a really good design document. We'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, this was accepted. Uh, they're planning to work on it for 122. And hopefully there'll be, you know, no unexpected problems will show up. And we'll see it happening in 122. The person who's going to work on it is Conrad Irwin. Conrad, we wish you good luck. This is a really good proposal. Please make it happen. If you need any help, let us know. Let's talk about conferences. There is one that sadly has flown under my radar until just this last week. But I really want to give a big shout out to our listener, Rishi Chadwani. I hope I said your name right. Who pointed out that GopherCon India is happening tomorrow. Oh my God. So... Buy your tickets fast, get a flight to Pune, and and go to GopherCon India. It's September 9 and 10. That's the next two days. Uh, of course, a link in the show notes. Tickets are still available. There are 4,800 rupees. I don't know what that translates to in euros or dollars, but if you're interested in going, I'm sure you know what that means. So go to GopherCon India. Yeah, this seems like there are a ton of really interesting talks. Uh, hardening Go currency with formal methods of verifying correctness seems really, really hardcore. Debugging distributed systems using Delve. These are not like uh, intro talks. These are language design perspective on generics. India has some hardcore engineering going on. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm wondering if they'll have to buy a new domain and rename it to GopherCon Baharat. But hopefully it won't happen by tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, that would be difficult. And there's another uh, conference worth uh, pointing out. Uh Past interview and friend of the show, Andrew Williams, uh, pointed out that there's going to be a fine conf because fine itself is, is a word. Anyway, there is a conference about fine, uh, which is uh, the framework in Go using that you can develop uh, desktop applications. Uh, you can check out our interview with Andrew uh, in the past episodes of the show. Uh, so the call for papers is open until October 6th, and the conference itself is going to be in Edinburgh in uh, November 3rd. Uh, so if you're on the UK at that time, go check it out. And if you know you have an idea for a paper, hand it in. Like we always say, just hand it in. The conference people will probably love to help you, you know, make it happen. And Andrew specifically is a super nice guy. And I'm sure that if you reach out to him in Slack and you say, oh, I have an idea, I'm not sure, he'll help you out. We may be hearing from Andrew soon. Stick around. Dum, dum, dum. Next dum. Week. Da, da, da. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. All right. Speaking of foreshadowing. Yeah. I read an interesting uh, piece this last week by Emily O'Meer, offering some opinions. This isn't Go-specific, at least her thoughts aren't, about the HashiCorp licensing fiasco, in big air quotes, uh, as she mm-hmm. calls it. We mentioned this briefly last week. We're going to talk about it a lot more after the ad break. We're going to be interviewing uh, one of the founding members of 
the OpenTF uh, Foundation. Yeah, definitely stick around for that. It's our most newsy interview, newsish e interview we've ever done. But I just wanted to call out this piece by Emily O'Meara because you know there's a there's a lot of talk out there uh, and covers the entire spectrum uh, from like hate speech to to uh, euphoric you know pie in the sky dreamy speak about OpenTF and you know there's a lot of hate out there in HashiCorp's direction. And I think Emily does a good job of sort of explaining why that maybe isn't deserved. I mean, HashiCorp is a company and they're losing money. They need to do something to pivot. Uh, and the idea that HashiCorp is maybe betraying the open source community by closed sourcing their software, I, I don't think that's that's valid. I mean, as we have seen, it has been open source. And so now it can be forked and is being forked. And, you know, that that's appropriate. That's part of what open source is. If, if HashiCorp didn't do this, you know, there's a potential that we would go out of business. And would that be any better for the open source community? Probably not. So anyway, I, I like her view because it gives a nice balance to this this discussion that's often very polarizing. But let, yeah, stick around for the interview. Uh, we have a great talk with Ohad about it. And I think it's a balanced interview too. I, I, I really think it's going to be worth your time. All right. Uh, so we're going to talk more about the Terraform thing like I'm sure every single coffee break at your work has been. But let's talk a little bit more about Go. So we wanted to highlight a really interesting blog post in the Go dev blog post uh, thing called Perfectly Reproducible Verified Go Tool Chains. Talking a lot about the tool chain this episode. Uh, not a very applicative episode, more about the infra. But this is uh, written by Ross Cox, so as always written very, very well. Recently, supply chain security became super important. You know, the full disclosure, I work for Orca. We have a shift lo- left security solution as part of the you know, platform package. And it's a huge market. I can tell you someone who's working in the industry, it's a really, really huge market. And, and you know, CISOs, chief security officers and companies really care about it. They really don't want vulnerabilities to be snuck in from the back door in, you know, libraries and, and stuff you, and dependencies you introduce. The recent solar winds, ex, like the whole, that whole security fiasco was 100% supply chain. And Go 121 is the first Go tool chain with perfectly reproducible builds which is really really super strong guarantee and you know when serious uh, companies or or you know budding startups need to pick their first language security is usually top of mind this is a bit for bit identical version of the same binary you're going to get out so you don't have to worry if you built it on your machine and you got you know a binary you can sign it you can hash it and then just check that that's what's running on production. And you get a 100% guarantee that nothing was injected along the way. And you can verify your entire tool chain, like your local machine, someone else's local machine, your build server, your production server. It's just bit by bit the same thing, which is super strong guarantee. And I want to call out that uh, although this is touted as a security feature, and it is, I have spoken to many people who think, oh, yeah, that level of security doesn't matter for my application or whatever. Maybe that's true. I'm not here to argue that. But I want to point out that there's practical applications to reproducible builds as well. It makes debugging so much easier if you're absolutely confident that the binary you produce locally is the same one that's running in production. If they're different, then you might not be able to reproduce the bug. Uh, If you know that they're exactly the same, uh, debugging just become so much simpler. Yeah. So this uh, blog post, you know, it's really, really well written, um, very low level. You can just read it and know this feature end to end. And, you know, software, supply chain security, it is an important topic. And, you know, if people don't know about it in your company, but you do write Go, this could be an interesting way to introduce it to your company because most uh, places are not 100% Go across the stack. And over in the neighbor's yard in JavaScript land, 
things are really, 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 really worse. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, you know, one other benefit I hope this will have is, you know, raising the level of security for other languages as well. But a super good blog post and a really interesting feature as well. So go check that out. If our theme this episode is the tool chain, I think our secondary theme is shout outs to our Cup of Go Slack channel. Because this story comes straight from Peter Aronoff, who uh, listened to our recent episode a few episodes ago about the Zero proposal, which has been accepted, but it's been modified. And I want to talk about that because I love this modification. Uh, you may recall that when we talked about this before, I was concerned about having two ways to spell nil for certain types. That has been taken off the table. The currently accepted version of the proposal says that the zero word will only be valid when nil is not appropriate. So you'll never have this question of should I say return nil comma error or return zero comma error. There's only one way to do it now. So I love this. I love this update to the already good proposal. It takes my only reservation out of the picture. So I'm now excited for this proposal in all of its forms to be added to I hope go 1.22. So you don't need to hope. Six hours ago, it was accepted with Russ, you know, quoting uh, decision-making process, reconsider, how to reconsider, when to reconsider. There's clear, he just says there's clear tension between the two choices, zero everywhere and zero where nil is not valid. We decided to just go with uh, zero where nil is not valid. He doesn't see any new information being introduced. So yeah, it is accepted. And shout out to Peter. Thanks a lot for letting us know. I think this next one's on you, Shai, because I, yeah. wasn't, I wasn't at the Go Israel meetup recently, but I think you might have been. Yeah, so um, our friends, uh, Lunar.dev, uh, I say our friends are really more my friends than your friends at this point. But who knows? Uh, hosted a really cool uh, Go meetup. I went and I just want to give a few highlights. First of all, if you're listening and you're not going to your local Go meetups, go. It's fun. It's a really good way to network. Uh, if you're a pretty young engineer, it's a really good way to learn and, and meet new people. And if you're a more senior position, you know, it's a really good way to share knowledge and also give people opportunities. You know, they can send you your CV or whatever. Uh, a few people came to me and like talked to me about stuff. Uh, there was one thing that was really interesting and I wanted to share. So I came to the to the meetup, just sat, listened to a super great uh, talk by Eliav. Hopefully we'll have him on the show soon to talk about it. Comparing like different JSON libraries and, and benchmarking and stuff like that. Memory arenas, it was really cool. And then we had a lightning talk section. If you don't know what a lightning talk section is, seven minutes, just a really brief talk and a ton of people get to go on, which is a, a lot of fun because you don't have to prepare too much. How do I know that you don't have to prepare too much? Uh, <laughs> some people signed up for doing the lightning talks and then uh, did a no-show. They just didn't. What? It was yeah. too much preparation even for them? That's not cool. Don't do that. Don't tell the organizers you're going to give a talk and then don't come. But what happened was, since I know the organizers, and if you remember, our first interview ever, Miki Tebeka, uh, is the organizer of those meetups. I just came to him and I was like, I can prepare a talk. And then, you know, at the last 20 minutes of the JSON talk and a little bit in the break, I prepared the talk and then I gave it. And it was one of the best public speaking experiences I had, uh, you know, in the last year, just because I didn't have time to stress about it. Uh, ahead of the time. So if I can prepare a talk in 20 minutes and give it, uh, you can go and submit for the lightning talks in your uh, Go uh, meetups. Wow, it was your best public speaking engagement, even better than the podcast you're on. Oh, I didn't con- I didn't consider the podcast. But, okay, all right. Uh, but I'll also in the podcast, I have a competition. You know, I I speak with like this broken English uh, Israeli accent and I'm here with NPR <laughs> Are we competition host, now? NPR host slash uh, AI generated perfectly perfect accent person. Wow. Uh, with uh, 20 more experience in the industry than me. So so it was a really good experience. And, you know, support your local Go community. Go to the Lightning Talks uh, 
track. And if there isn't one, just suggest to run one because it's really low prep and really lowers the bar to a lot of people who may be afraid of public speaking or don't have a lot of experience. And don't do a no-show. Uh, and yeah, thanks for Lunar and, and the Israeli Go community. It's a really, really good community. I love y'all. Let's round it out with one uh, shout out to friend of the show, former guest on the show, Christoph Berger, who runs the Applied Weekly Go newsletter. Uh, he's taking a hiatus. I guess he's decided that when we took a break for three weeks, that he's allowed to do the same thing. So we're happy to be trendsetters here. But he's taking a break with his newsletter until October. If you're not already subscribed, you should be. Link in the show notes. Be sure to go subscribe to his newsletter so that when it comes back in October, you're getting the weekly news from him. Honestly, it's the best way to consume uh, Go Weekly News. I couldn't think of another. <laughs> Enjoy your vacation, dude. All right. Uh, stick around after the ad break. We have one of the most interesting interviews we've ever done, in my opinion. It's worth it. See you there. This episode is sponsored by Koyab.com. If you haven't heard of it, where have you been? Koyab is a serverless platform uh, to deploy apps globally. No ops, servers, or infrastructure management. As a paying customer myself, although I've decommissioned one of the servers, I still have a, another one running. It's really good. Super sleek interface. The feature release rate is crazy. And you can run web apps. You can run hosts like your APIs, serverless functions for event-driven stuff, background workers, cron jobs. Basically a really, really good alternative uh, if you want to run stuff in the cloud serverless. I've been using it myself since they've the last time they started sponsoring us, so before our summer break. And yeah, it's it's been an absolute breeze. It worked really well. This week, again, they, they release stuff all the time, so it's it's hard to to point out any specific thing. But this week, uh, now you can deploy via Dockerfile on high-performance micro-VMs just across the world. Deploy your Rust, your Zig, your Bun, your Crystal, your Go, your Dino, everything with Docker. But mostly your um, Go. So for Go, you don't. it's even easier because you can yeah. use their built-in uh, Go template uh, build step and just run the binary directly. But if you use a, a worse language exactly. and you have to wrap it around, you have to ship the computer with it, uh, <laughs> then you can do that as well. And you can read the blog post. We're gonna, we're actually gonna link Jan's Twitter. Go show, shower Jan with some love and some likes on X. Cause, you know, they're really good partners of the show and they honestly deserve it. Thanks a lot, Koyup, for, uh, sponsoring the show and hosting my servers with almost no downtime. I've actually ran a script this week to check how much downtime I've had. Cause I didn't believe their dashboards. Okay. And now I believe their dashboards. It oh. works. So what else? Uh, if you want to get merch to support the show, go to store.copgo.dev uh, and grab yourself a mug uh, or a sticker. And if you want to talk to us, our Slack has been going crazy lately. A lot of good stuff there. Actually, a lot of the newest items in the show came from the discussions going on there. So feel free to join. We're already over 200 members, uh, which is really, really great. Uh, if Slack's not your cup of coffee, uh, you can go to news at couplego.dev and email us. That is news at couplego.dev. Finally, if you like the show, please leave a review on uh, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your Wherever you pod your casts and, you know, share it in your internal work groups and whatever. You want to be that person who's like, listen, I heard on this really cool podcast that we have to upgrade our Go version because we have a security vulnerability and then share the link as well. That's some uh, serious uh, Go cred. So go grab yourself some of that Go cred. Uh, anything else, John? I think you covered it. I can't think of anything else to add. I, I everything, I, everything I wanted to say, you already said it. So stick around for the interview with uh, Ohad from N0. It's a different one, but we're sure that you're going to find it interesting. And we're going to cut back in after the interview with some of our closing thoughts because this is such a hairy topic. Uh, we just feel like there's a little bit more we want to say afterwards. Yeah, so, so stick, stick around, around until the end of the end. Oh.
Yo, Jonathan. Hi, Shai. I want to send you some free stuff. Awesome. I love free stuff. Cool. Can you sign this document real quick? Don't look what it says. Don't worry about it. Wait a minute. It's free, but is free as in free speech, free as in free beer, or free as in free just for me? It sounds like uh, free as in I'm going to be free of this obligation by not signing your document. <laughs> if only we had someone here who can tell us about bait and switch licenses. Oh, wait. Hi, Ohad. What's up? Hi, Shai. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Great seeing you. Thanks for joining. All right. So before we start uh, talking about the main topic, uh, how about you introduce yourself, Ohad, and what you do? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So I'm Ohad Maislish, co-founder and CEO of M0. M0 is an infrastructure called management platform. So if you use Terraform, Pulumi, CloudFormation, you should look into M0 and how to manage that in scale. But I also want to talk today about a big uh, Go project, which is uh, Terraform and the new OpenTF, the CNCF open source version. And also I have my own podcast. So if you're interested in listening to podcasts about infrastructure as code, uh, please take a look at the, the IAC, the infrastructure as code, the IACpodcast.com. And I hope you're going to enjoy this content. Awesome. Great. Well, hopefully they'll take a listen, not just a look. Uh, but if they want to check it out, obviously the show, the link is in the show notes. It is a good looking page though, too, just for the record. It looks good. Yeah. Thanks. We, we have some stuff to pick, uh, pick up about, uh, the homepage. All right, Jonathan, how about you drop us in? What's going on? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we've already talked about in the show that HashiCorp has changed their licensing and OpenTF has uh, announced that they're, they have forked, uh, Terraform. And that's why we brought you on. So we don't need to go over all those little, little details, but I'm more interested in, in sort of digging into some of this a little bit. Let's start with you and N0. Uh, how do you use Terraform today? Obviously you do infrastructure as code, uh, but just talk a little bit. How much, how do you use it and how much do you use it? Yeah, so at M0, basically all of our customers use infrastructure as code. Mm-hmm. Most of our customers use Terraform. This is the de facto standard for infrastructure as code. It's much bigger than Kulumi, than Crossplane, and also the vendor-specific IAC, such as CloudFormation for AWS or ARM templates for Azure. But mm-hmm. let's say you use Terraform. Uh, Terraform is just uh, CLI. Uh, I wanted to say it's just an open source, but it's, it's no longer open source. So Terraform is just a framework, and N0 is the management layer on top. So think about Git versus GitHub. Yeah. Okay, so N0 is doing to Terraform what GitHub does to, does to Git, and those are the management capabilities. Let me give you two very basic examples okay. of scenarios that you need something like N0. So first is the drift. Let's say you've changed some cloud resources without updating the code. Okay, so without N0... Nothing is going to alert you from this dangerous situation. And it's very dangerous because the next code change or the next code execution might revert your changes in the cloud that uh, were, uh, were done for a purpose. So that's very dangerous. You need to manage drifts. So you need to have this one place that you understand both code and cloud resources. Another thing is permissions. So let's say I have some telephone code in my Git repo. And let's say, Jonathan, you are the DevOps engineer or the manager, so you have access for production. And Shai is just a, a junior DevOps engineer or just an application developer that has access only to staging and uh, development. That also tracks in real life with uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. being the, the tiny DevOps guy, having, you know, knew, knowing computers since before I was born, and me being <laughs> just being a 
hotshot uh, engineers uh, only learned about Go, you know, like seven years ago or anything, something like that. It, uh, this is a very good metaphor. You picked the right people for the <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But in each organization, you have the most senior folks that have access to production and those who don't. So you have the same code that represents both staging and production, but maybe Jonathan should have access to execute the same code in production. And Shai has the ability to execute that code only in staging and with different policies, with different parameters. So the context of who can execute infrastructure as code and with uh, which policies and restrictions, those concepts exist in something like N0 or in another famous uh, solution, which is Terraform Enterprise or Terraform Cloud, not to be confused with Terraform. Yeah, so cards on the table... Sort of the instigation for this whole thing is basically companies like N0 and others directly competing with HashiCorp, Terraform Cloud, like you said. And there's no like dirty play or anything like that. You're two competitors in this field and that's totally fair, right? You're pushing each other, Terraform Cloud releasing a feature so N0 have to step up and zero releasing a feature so they have to set up. This is all good. The crux of the debate here is Terraform, like the the framework, the format, and I think mostly the tens of hundreds of hours of work that people put into this open source project and that don't work in Terraform. People who wrote modules, people who wrote extensions, people who wrote uh, like managed platforms, stuff like that, built on this once open source and now source available framework, right? Yep, it's an evolution of open source. And yeah, HashiCorp a few weeks ago made a big decision that they are no longer uh, releasing Terraform Core as uh, open source. Terraform has several components. Uh, the core itself, the CLI, or the GitHub repo, github.com slash HashiCorp slash Terraform. So that is no longer open source. It's source available. However, there are tons or thousands of uh, providers and modules. All of those, uh, at least for today, are still open source, including the HashiCorp maintained uh, with partnership with AWS and Azure, the AWS Terraform provider, the Azure Terraform provider, the Kubernetes Terraform provider, the vSphere VMware Terraform provider, and all of those are our providers that are still open source. So the change was to the Terraform core project, github.com slash HashiCorp slash Terraform. So you've already answered what was going to be my next question, which is why why is N0 interested in joining OpenTF? But you, you pretty well answered that because it's the core of your business. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm curious, if, you, if it weren't for OpenTF, how would the HashiCorp licensing change affect your business? Would it even be possible for you to license this software from HashiCorp or because you're a competitor? Or is, is that not an option? Yeah, so basically what they've done is change the license of uh, future releases of Terraform. Uh, Terraform latest version as of today is 1.5, 1.56. And the future 1.6 that just released beta a few days ago is uh, basically with the new license. So what HashiCorp changed with their license, they added some language that, to be honest, is a bit vague, but they later added some clarifications. If you want, we can elaborate on that and how it was uh, being done. I think it's a very interesting thing to, to learn from. But long story short, the license limits uh, several uh, types of usage of uh, the future versions of Terraform. So for N0 customers and uh, some of our uh, competition, I want to mention Spacelift and Scalar in a similar situation to, to N0. Uh, we are all 
basically, to simplify the story, not able to execute the future versions of Terraform. Now, Terraform is the de facto standard for infrastructure as code. M0 supports Pulumi and CloudFormation. But yeah, honestly, most of our business comes from, from Terraform. So we, yeah, the, the honest truth is that, yeah, we are interested in serving our customers and our market. But besides that direct impact, regardless of M0, uh, Terraform is built in a way that integrates with so many providers and modules and vendors and also solutions such as Open Policy Agent and Chekhov and TFSec and TerraScan and InfraCost. All of those work with Terraform. So Terraform has a very mature open source ecosystem. So this word, the other, even without M0, uh, it feels that the uh, community need here for an open source Terraform style system is needed. So... There is the need for the community. There is the incentive for companies such as uh, M0. There is incentive from other types of companies that are also interested in CNCF-based uh, open source. So this story is, 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 uh, is very big for just you know, one vendor to really uh, take ownership of the future of open source IAC. So one thing that springs to mind is that in my head, maybe this is a naive view. But the beginning of open source was like nerds in a laboratory, you know, right? Like Linus, he wanted to share some stuff. He was like, oh, this is not really good. But it was very idealistic. Linus, you know, he may be a rich man, but that's not what he set out. He was a hacker, a nerd at heart. And, you know, I can speak for myself that many of my side projects and the things that I could like attempt to monetize and, you know, this podcast uh, being among them, but I'm talking about my, like my blog and stuff like that and stuff I used to do when I was in the army. Like there was some like individual passion or group passion that was not the main thing that makes money for me. But both uh, HashiCorp with Terraform and now N0, Scalar, all these companies with uh, OpenTF, the incentive is really monetary. And that's like, that's totally fine. I'm also in the business of making money. I also have a full-time job. Uh, I also like paying bills. I have a few you could pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, my, my question is, OpenTF, you keep mentioning it's a community uh, project, um, but it's a community of uh, companies who want to make money. I, right now, looking at your pledge, or I guess you can call it manifesto, right? Uh, yep. In the foundation side, you mentioned a whole bunch of companies that, uh, you know, joined in GitHub and it's like 100 companies or something like that, right? Yep, more than 100 companies. More than 100. But, you know, the ones that stand out to me are companies that actually covering costs and not just saying we'll do development of open source. Because, you know, I've been there. Saying you'll do development of open source and contributing one line to the README a year is nice, but it's not uh, it's not super impactful. But uh, Harness, Spacelift, your company, N0, uh, Scalar, you have actually, you co-signed with the statement that you're going to cover the cost of multiple full-time engineers for multiple years, right? Correct. So why make this a community project and not just go... Uh, harness, Spacelift, N0, and Scalar, and, you know, build a competitor and, and shut everyone else out. Won't you make more money that way? As I mentioned, we, we strongly believe that the future of Terraform needs to be open source. And there is an amazing blog, if you can add that in your uh, comments or links to this podcast, that would be amazing, that Yevgeny, Yevgeny Brickman, uh, the CEO of Grantwork, wrote a few weeks ago about the future of Terraform that needs to be open. So Grantwork are the creators of TerraGrant, and Terra Test, and Yevgeny is maybe one of the uh, 
top contributors to the Terraform ecosystem. I think, you know, reading what uh, Evgeny wrote is, uh, is very true. The future of Terraform needs to be open. The community uh, needs to take it to whatever uh, future the community decides. That's why we decided that in OpenTF, besides being in CNCF and having a, a steering committee that will uh, navigate this uh, project going forward, uh, we're going to have RFCs, and we're going to involve the community for the future of things. Terraform or OpenTF has so many integrations, and it's important to build that together with the community to ensure the future of this uh, technology. We don't want it to be uh, managed by one vendor or a group of vendors. We want to do that together with the community to ensure the future of uh, OpenTF as, uh, as an open standard, as an open implementation for the uh, Terraform language or protocol. So there is incentive for you to, to keep it open. You, you think it's the better business move. That's cool. I think in general what HashiCorp did, uh, which is a legit move from their side, I'm not, I'm not complaining about what, what they've done, but I think it's a good reminder to decision makers in companies when they choose open source to differentiate between two types of open source. If you look at Kubernetes, if you look at Open Policy Agent, if you look at Istio, those belong to CNCF, which means those will remain open source forever. It's, uh, it's guaranteed. With Terraform, with uh, Elasticsearch, with MongoDB, we've seen uh, the move from open source backed by a vendor to be no longer open source. GitLab is an interesting example. Pulumi is an interesting example. Those are backed by a vendor. So if you choose something like Pulumi, it might be not open source in the future. Now, yeah, they might pull a HashiCorp in the future. <laughs> th- theoretically, theoretically. Uh, from my understanding, as long as uh, the CEO of Kulumi is the same CEO of today, I, I strongly believe that it will remain open source. But companies can replace the CEO. Even in HashiCorp, they, they replace the CEO. Companies evolve. So nothing is guaranteed in the long run uh, with open source packages of uh, vendors, unlike CNCF. So I think it's, it's now important for a lot of engineers to realize when they choose something open source, understand the uh, and do some risk management. What if? What happens if the vendor will change the license? And again, with Kubernetes, with Istio, with Open Policy Agent, with OpenSearch, unlike Elasticsearch, this is impossible because it belongs to, to CNCF. So I think you know, to build more trust in something that needs more trust now, such as uh, the future of Terraform, uh, putting it under CNCF is the right thing to do to ensure not just about the current situation, but also the future situation of the license of, uh, of OpenTF. And I encourage engineers to choose CNCF open source projects versus temporary open source projects that are controlled by a vendor. So that, that leads me to two questions. Uh, the first is, who is leading OpenTF uh, and, and what is your role? Like, I, I don't know if you have a formal governance body yet or, or if that's still in progress. What does that look like and what's your role there? That's my first question. Sure. Uh, we are now a group of five, five companies in the steering committee of OpenTF. I've mentioned Grantwork, also Harness, uh, Spacelift Scaler, and Zero. Uh, and in our case, uh, our CTO is uh, is in that uh, committee. So that's the the plan that's going to be implemented in the very near future of how we're going to work with the Linux Foundation and in the CNCF. It's going to transition from an initiative that we're now into a steering committee based 
project in uh, in CNCF, and that's the initial members. Those are the initial members in the steering committee. Uh, there are extra available seats in the upcoming steering committee. That's going to have more seats from other enterprises and vendors and, and, and community influencers. I want to mention that we got some very interesting uh, emails from well-known uh, open source leaders in, in big companies that uh, propose themselves to join the steering committee. Uh, so that's definitely something we're, uh, we're considering. I'll just know that uh, you know we have pretty heavy hitters in the in the listeners you know some people who wrote the go compiler some people who optimize go left and right some people who do like manage huge cloud environments people who write go books if you're listening and this committee sounds like something you want to be a part in uh, go talk to Ohad. Uh, <laughs> definitely uh, you can email me ohad at com or uh, in the OpenTF uh, website you can see pledge at opentf.org. And so that's how we all get an email uh, to be notified about things like that. So that's the official way to contact the OpenTF initiative. Yeah, but, but tell them Kapago uh, sent you, you know, <laughs> and we'll, we'll set you up. So that leads me to my next question, and that is you've, you've mentioned CNCF, and you also mentioned the Linux Foundation. What is the current state of the process with those two organizations? Where are you along the lines? Because I, I don't know what's involved, but I know that there's an acceptance process for CNCF, at least. I, mean, I assume similar for LF. What, where are you in that process right now? Yeah, so in order to be a project in CNCF, uh, you need to go through the Linux Foundation first. CNCF belongs to the Linux Foundation. Oh, right, right. Okay. So that's the first process to be part of the Linux Foundation, and from there... Uh, going to the uh, the CNCF. Uh, all I can say at this point, uh, all I can share at this point is that we are uh, in a very mature process with the Linux Foundation, and you're going to hear more official updates uh, soon about uh, about that. All right. Zooming out a little bit, how would you define success for OpenTF? Uh, say in 12 months, 24 months, how will you know if it has been a successful endeavor? That's an amazing, amazing, amazing question. Wow. Uh, let's uh, think about it uh, for a moment. I think there are several indicators that will demonstrate that OpenTF is uh, is success. Uh, first, not sure those are the important ones, but those are the easiest one to to recognize. The amount of GitHub stars OpenTF projects gonna uh, repo is gonna have. But I think more interesting than the stars is the amount of uh, issues reported by the community, upvoted. And maybe the most interesting thing is the community pull requests that are both being created and being merged into OpenTF. So those are the direct uh, indicators of the OpenTF uh, usage, like downloads, uh, the normal things that you monitor open source. But I think gradually we're going to see bigger enterprises that are using internally OpenTF, and we're going to see big vendors that are going to support OpenTF similar to what M0 is doing now with allocating engineers. So once we're going to have, we're very proud that Harness joined uh, allocating five engineers, uh, and I'm sure we're going to see bigger and bigger companies allocating their resources. I've heard that Kubernetes is being developed, about 15% of its development being done by Google engineers, and about 8% by VMware engineers, and the rest, 77%, is being developed by so many other engineers that work for so many other vendors. Uh, so I think if we're going to see that diversity and we're going to see more and more vendors and more individuals working from different companies, that's the true success of a, of an open source project to be heavily involved with the, with the community. If you count unaccepted pull requests as well, 
then I am one of these uh, Kubernetes developers because I wanted to update <laughs> one line of documentation about like the difference between image ID and digest ID hash. They didn't accept my contribution. Uh, uh, but I guess I'm one of those uh, 77. <laughs> <laughs> what experience do you, or in particular your CTO and the others on the, the steering committee, what experience do you have uh, building open source communities and driving open source projects uh, that would help uh, lend to the success that we're, we're aiming for with with OpenTF. So I, I strongly believe that N of Zero Spacelift and Scaler, we all have vast experience in infrastructure as code. Uh, we did some things, interesting things in open source. For example, N of Zero published a TerraTag open source project. Uh, you can check it out at github.com slash M0 slash TerraTag. Uh, but the honest truth is that we are more experts in infrastructure as, as code than uh, open source. That's why we are very happy and honored to have Evgeny and Josh and the rest of the Guntwork team uh, also in the, in the OpenTF project. They have vast experience in both infrastructure as code and open source. They, were, they are the ones behind TerraTest and TerraGrant, very important open source projects, and they definitely influence how we work with the community and how we position OpenTF in public. So we are all uh, learning from them, to be honest. They are amazing individuals, both Josh and, and Evgeny. And I think together with our infrastructure's code knowledge and with their infrastructure's code and community knowledge, and where this is heading now with the contribution of the community in general, it looks like we're doing the right first steps to building a successful open source project. Good. I have a thousand other questions, but in the interest of time, I just want to ask one more that I think is probably on the minds of many people. So you mentioned earlier on that, that the newest version of Terraform, the now closed source version, is in beta. And of course, they're going to, Cache Corp is going to keep adding new features and new capabilities. What, if any, plans uh, have been solidified yet? What plans does OpenTF have to maintain feature compatibility as Terraform adds new features? Or is this, uh, is this a fork and you're going to go your own way now? Yeah, so one of the key concepts we, we all agreed is that we're going to feature compatible with Terraform. It's important for all of the providers and all of the users to know that if they have code that works in Terraform, it should work with OpenTF. We are uh, positively thinking about adding some capabilities in OpenTF that might not exist in, uh, in Terraform. For example, we already have some uh, early availability of uh, state encryption, which is a very important capability in Terraform because the state contains very sensitive information mm -hmm. and sits in some S3 bucket or uh, wherever you decide to store that. So having state encryption is uh, something that the community uh, has been waiting for a long time and OpenTF now has that as an early uh, version. But that is just a capability that OpenTF has and Terraform doesn't have or at least still doesn't have. From the other direction, OpenTF has promised in its manifest uh, to keep uh, compatibility with Terraform to simplify the work for all of the engineers that are currently using Terraform and all of the providers that are built for Terraform. And we plan to keep that. And you can see more details about that in our uh, website that uh, goes into the details of uh, how we're going to do that and how we're going to involve the community with those types of decisions. So... One question I had, again, like uh, Jonathan, we could probably keep you here long enough that people will get tired and they will fork OpenTF2 because Ohad <laughs> got stuck on a call. Um, but one thing I want to ask before we 
uh, wrap up is, I guess it's more of a personal question. You decided to be the CEO of a company and a company that deals with like infrastructure as code, open source stuff, developer tools. So I know you're used to, you know, developers, how they think and, and how they behave. But I know that OpenTF with all the uh, stars and, and, and good positive uh, feedback it got, it also got a lot of negative feedback. We just spoke about all the good things that uh, OpenTF could do and why do you think it's a good thing for the future. And, you know, I don't want to list all the bad things that people said about the project or you because people online tend to be very negative. Um, I'm mostly wondering how you dealt with that. Like, do you look at people who criticize OpenTF, say it's not good, they don't know what they're doing, it's they're just going to cause split brain, now everybody's going to have to maintain both, it's going to fail, stuff like that. Do you take this criticism, try to talk to these people? Do you just ignore it because online there's just hate and that's how it goes? How does it impact the OpenDF Foundation? And also, you know, you, like you're a person uh, after all behind all this. Yeah, that's a great question. So definitely we we respect every every opinion. Yeah, some people, by the way, you said a lot of people, but uh, let me uh, kindly disagree with the amount of uh, criticism that we get, but we definitely get, get some criticism. It's important for us to uh, to listen to that criticism, learn from that criticism. And I think the important thing and what from what we see, a lot of people are still uh, wondering where OpenTF is going to progress. Uh, so we're focusing on that. We're focusing today, six hours ago, we are speaking today, it's uh, September 5th. So today, a few hours ago, we released OpenTF as a public repo. A lot of the uh, doubt was, is there is there a repo or are they just uh, writing a manifest and, uh, and uh, doing a lot of noise without, without uh, having real products? So yeah, we released six hours ago the actual repo. It already got some uh, a lot of love from, from the community with uh, a lot of GitHub stars as, as a first example. And I think that's where we need to focus. We need to focus on transparency, on product roadmap, on RFCs, on how we're going to work with the community, uh, on building, having stable releases. And once we're going to prove that we deliver on our promise, I think that's going to narrow uh, some of the criticism and then we're going to see what's the, what's the next criticism and try to learn from, uh, from the opinions that others uh, share. But all in all now, I think most of the things we focus on is uh, execution and making sure OpenTF is uh, stable, working closely with the community, and just focus on, on shipping as the best answer to a lot of uh, some of the doubt that uh, still exists. Yeah, I guess only people with dirty hands are right. Right. Um, yeah, if you want to go check out the repo, obviously we'll put the link in the show notes, but uh, it's OpenTF Foundation slash OpenTF for the people who want to use the GHCLI because you f- you, it makes you feel cooler. And it's 89.9% Go, uh, which is almost uh, good enough to be AAA uh, Couple Go certified. <laughs> uh, just uh, 1% below. Uh, but it is uh, honestly a really good, um, you know, obviously Terraform before they changed the license and, and or previous versions of Terraform. Now uh, this uh, fork, OpenTF, it's a good chance to read some really complicated, you know, real life project mm-hmm. that's written in Go, right? It's a pretty, pretty huge project on a lol um, with 10 years of work behind it and a ton, of, like millions and millions of dollars. So like any big open source project, maybe not everything is uh, is the best way to write things in Go, but it's definitely a real way to <laughs> write things in Go. So it's a good uh, case study. 
And obviously, if you want to go beyond that uh, reading and, and start contributing, I guess um, now that it's NPL and has a fi- like the OpenTF behind it, you can feel comfortable uh, contributing your code there if that's what you want to do. Um, usually, before we let our guests go, uh, we ask them questions uh, about the Go language. But we wanted to uh, spin this question for you, Ohad, and ask you what would do you like the most about Go developers? And don't worry, you're going to get the flip side of that question real soon. What do I really like about Go developers? Yeah, you have Go developers in F0, right? Yeah, we have some Go developers, although most of our developers are in uh, writing in, uh, in Node.js. Uh, but yeah, we definitely have uh, some Go expertise. I think uh, Go engineers have a very interesting mixture of both the understanding the application and, uh, and the infrastructure in a way. Uh, they're closer to the infrastructure than the regular application developers. And I think once you understand the infrastructure, it helps you write uh, better application code when you understand how it's going to work later. So that's one thing I find to to like about this kind of uh, technology. Awesome. And the flip side, uh, what's your biggest complaint about Go developers? Oh, well, (laughs) not sure if it's not a complaint, but uh, maybe their complaint is that they were not able to contribute to the Terraform core for two years now. Uh-huh. And 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 now they're able we are, we welcome contributions to to OpenTF. So if they continue complaining about not being able to contribute, that's my complaint to them because you need okay. to take a look at, <laughs> at at OpenTF and start contributing. Uh, where your contributions are uh, very welcome. Nice segue. The there. thing about Go, you can't even procrastinate because of the compiler, because the compiler is so fast. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, Ahad, where can people, uh, we mentioned this a few times, but let's just uh, put it all in one place. What do you want uh, the people to know about? So we mentioned the podcast, right? If you want to listen to Ahad talk more, go check out the IAC podcast. We obviously talked about uh, the OpenTF Foundation. You can go to their site, the link in the show notes. You can find anything there. Uh, if you want to learn more about NF0, we think NF0 is cool. Go check out NF0 <laughs> if you have some, uh, if you want to manage Terraform. Uh, and Ohad, is, uh, this is not like a puff piece. He's not paying us. Uh, he's not sponsoring us. Not an official sponsor. Uh, you know, Ohad, if uh, NF0, will, if I'll set it up and I'll fuck me in the future, then <laughs> the, the listeners is going to hear about it as well. Uh, but we think it's cool. Um, if people want to reach you, where they can, where can they talk to you? Yeah, sure. They can follow me at uh, DevOpsOhad in Twitter or uh, add me as a connection in, uh, in LinkedIn. And just send me a note in LinkedIn. I think that's the best way to uh, reach out to me. Great. Anything else you want to mention? No, I just, uh, again, encourage you all to go check out uh, OpenTF GitHub repo. It's public. It's written in Go. Uh, you can definitely uh, help, even if not contributing code, just influencing the issues upvoting those that you think are uh, are important and just amplify the story of uh, of OpenTF, the future of open source infrastructure as code in your communities. Uh, that would be great, uh, great help. Wonderful. Thank you, Ahad, for coming on and sharing uh, what you what you have. Thanks for your contribution to OpenTF. I wish you and the foundation and the entire community all the success in the coming years as we try to, to make this successful. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks, man. All right, so Ahad is off the call. Um, man, thanks a lot for coming. 
Thanks for taking the time. It was a very enlightening conversation. It's interesting uh, to have some someone who's not an engineer, like a Go engineer, and who's been at the CEO role. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's sort of a different cadence to the conversation. You know, I mean, focus yeah. on the on the future and vision and like business practices and people a little bit more than the cool stuff about the code. It was eye opening for me. Yeah, and, and I think it's really important to remember that you know we write software to support business. HashiCorp does the same, and Zero does the same. All the users of Terraform, they aren't just doing it because it's fun. They're using it for a reason. And we have to remember that that business goal is valuable and, and is the reason we're doing it. We're not just writing open source software because it makes the world go round or it makes us feel warm and fuzzy. Mm-hmm. There's a business goal. And, and sometimes there's a conflict between one set of ideals and the business. And we have to find a way to, to balance that. And hopefully as a community, we can accomplish that. And so I'm, I'm encouraged to see the work that Ahad is doing and that he doesn't harbor ill feelings towards HashiCorp, as we've seen on Twitter and, and Reddit yeah. and other social media. Some people are just really hateful towards HashiCorp. I don't think that's appropriate. As I mentioned uh, in the first part of the program, the piece by Emily O'Meara, you know, kind of makes that point too. You know, HashiCorp's a business, they need to make money. But so is M0, and so are all the users of, of Terraform. So, you know, there, there's, there's room for a balanced view, I think, here. And, and I think it was really great to have Ohad here to share his side and help uh, round out the discussion. Yes. There is, you know, we're not journalists. We're engineers we just play one on the podcast yeah so and this being more our most uh, new-ish news-ish interview we did want to clarify uh, one thing when we talked to ohad about uh, OpenTF, you know he's a very positive guy and he's very uh, visionary and in the interest of time we didn't want to you know challenge him deeply deeply on every single question we asked and whatever uh, we do feel like you know, there was room to challenge a bit more about stuff like feature parity, for example. When we asked him about feature parity, he said, yeah, we're going to do it. We could have gone deeper. And that's honestly true for almost any question we asked during the show. Just bear in mind, you know, we're trying to do our best, but we're not journalists and we just want to have an open, frank conversation. Yeah, I think the goal maintaining feature parity with Terraform in OpenTF is probably unrealistic over the long term. In the short term, it might be fine, but in the long term, it's probably not feasible. Certainly there will be a lag. I mean, if, if Terraform produces a new feature that's amazing, there's going to be time to rebuild that in OpenTF. And I suspect there will come a time when OpenTF, assuming they're successful, says, actually, that's not a feature we want to implement here. And I think that's a legitimate decision. So that's probably my biggest issue with the whole OpenTF manifesto is the the promise of feature parity. I think that's not probably what the community needs or wants, even if it were realistic, and it's probably not realistic. Yeah, when when we talked to Ohad, we mentioned how big it is that he's uh, his company is willing to you know sponsor five full-time engineers for five years. But when I had conversations at, at work about, you know, how many people that is and what a big commitment that is, some people gave me a reality check and said, like, 20 engineers is not that much. <laughs> HashiCorp is a lot bigger uh, and they have a lot more experience. They have the product people, they have the customers, they have the old everything in place already. Uh, and the project is a lot bigger than the code. Um, Ohad, you know, clarified that when he said what he wants to see is usage and issues, not just pull requests and code. But yeah, it's going to be difficult. It's definitely going to be difficult. Uh, we were not trying to say one option is better than the other i think you know the market's going to decide yeah. people are going to do what they do and and the market's going to decide the end of the day uh we just sort of wanted to clarify after the fact and we hope you enjoyed the interview even if it is a very hairy topic for us to cover it's hairy it's polarizing uh, i don't want to take sides i mean i, I have friends i have one of my uh, co-organizers of the Amsterdam meetup is a, an employee of HashiCorp. So, you know, I have friends there. Yesterday, I played a chess competition against the N0 guys, and they were okay. super nice. Yeah. 
we're all people and we're all trying to, to make ends meet. We're all trying to raise our families and pay for holidays. We're all on the same team in the end. It's still an interesting story. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. We will see you perhaps uh, with a different cast or maybe even not at all next week. We'll see. Around to see what's up. See you folks next week. See everyone.